we have today another conversation about psychology and uh it might get uh it might get for sure difficult because we talk about certain structures within the mind um specifically the so-called id the ego and the super ego but we come from a specific direction when we have discussed in the past and when i have done uh, other podcasts in the past one of the themes that naturally occurred was the question, what am I supposed to do or how am I supposed to achieve my goals, right? Uh, which is a very legitimate question for basically every adult, I would say. So within the uh, working, if someone is in the workforce, then more naturally there are goals that uh, that I want to achieve in terms of career and appreciation and money and all these things uh, or power. And even when I'm without, when I'm not working, I still feel that I have the goal that I have to, to, to find myself. I have to fulfill myself. I have to be good in sports. I have to do a hobby and so on. Sometimes people are really satisfied and happy with those things that they pursue and these are lucky cases, often enough, people feel driven to achieve a certain goal without even a big fantasy of being happy afterwards, you know? So I feel like I want to gain more power because I hate this feeling of powerlessness within the company or within my bigger family. But when I think about it, if I have the power or when I achieve a little bit more power, it's not that it makes me happy. It just makes... it's a little bit of a relief or something. So it puts in the question, it brings up the question, why do I feel the urge to pursue these things if the result is not truly satisfying or making me happy? And here we come to uh, speak about the, the superego because these are typical ca characteristics, the things that I have to do, the laws I have to abide by. Uh, so, because we have touched so often in conversations um, upon these uh, goal-driven um, motivations of most of us, um, we thought it might be interesting to get a little bit deeper into it. Uh, as a short introduction, in recent years, it proved to be useful to distinguish two aspects of the superego, and then I will explain a little bit more what the superego is. Mm -hmm. One is the ideal self and the other is the ought self or the must self. The ideal self would be something that would really make me happy. So, you know, I recently, as an actual example, I, I bought, bought a guitar. I would like to learn the guitar, even though I'm oldish. So uh, my brain is not, you know, in the best day to absorb kind of fresh new <laughs> information and hand-eye coordination is not great. but. It's something that I, you know, I take, play some chords and it's fun. It's just uh, naive kind of fun. Not that I could play anything. It's just, uh, it's playful. And I like to uh, tinker around and to play some very primitive chords and so on. So I would put kind of this endeavor of learning the guitar in the realm of, uh, of the ideal self. Now let's take parents and a kid who are obsessed with the idea to have a really great guitar or piano playing kid, right? Mm -hmm. And they push the kid to the limit 
uh, private classes every day, uh, competitions every month, conservatorium, the whole shebang. Is anyone really enjoying this thing? In many cases, not. You have overachieving parents. You have the kid that wants to satisfy the parents. The most of it that you, they gain out of it is pride. It's like, ah, oh, my daughter, my son, look at them, first prize, national, mm -hmm. whatever, right? And the kid is, uh, you know, is happy if it can be proud of being the object of pride for their parents. It's like, oh, I did good. My parents are proud of me. Is there any fun or joy in that? Not so much. This clearly belongs in the category of the ought self, the must self, where it feels like I have to fulfill these things. Otherwise, I don't know, there will be a big lack in my self-esteem maybe, or uh, in me as a personality uh, or a character. And I'm sure we can find more examples. I, uh, I know that you have some examples from yourself where you <laughs> are transitioning from uh, turning some odd aspects into ideal aspects so that, uh, that they're imbued with, uh, with fun and joy. So that is a short introduction into the superego. Now let me explain a little bit what these three terms are. In English, they sound weirder uh, than in the original German. So it was Freud who came up with those terms or popularized them largely. The id is the Latin word for it. Uh, so third person neutral, the it, and this is what it is in German. It's the normal word it, which kind of signifies that it's, uh, our, it's a driving force of our unconscious from which we are alienated. So as if we say, it acts through me. When I cannot help myself to get a twitch in a certain situation, to become super nervous in before an exam, even though I think that I'm super prepared and there's no reason at all to be, uh, to be anxious. So in all those situations where something from within seems to have its own agenda, its own personality, we feel alienated from it. We think, what the fuck is this within me that is doing that, this different person within me? So hence this alienated it, and then in the English it was given the, uh, the Latin term id. Ego is more or less how I see myself, perceive myself, identify myself with. It's more complex than that, but in German it's just the word for me or I. So again, the English term is uh, a little bit uh, fancied up, uh, again, with the Latin mm -hmm. term ego. Uh, and the third part, where the, the laws and rules uh, are located, which drive me, uh, the so-called superego, is in German literally the over me. Uh, so mm -hmm. in, in English, it sounds a little bit like Superman or something. Uh, it, it just signifies that it seems to be the ruler that, that, that uh, includes the laws that govern me, the judge within me, that we intuitively would uh, locate above us, looking down on us, demanding things. So it's the over I, the over me, again, in Latin terms, super ego. I find it a little bit unfortunate that in the English, uh, 
become such a you know intellectual terms because uh, originally I think they were conceived as something that should be much more accessible anyway mm -hmm. so that's a little bit uh, historical roundup when we discuss it now I will not pretend that I go back to the Freudian concepts he introduced these terms but uh, I will speak much more from my own clinical experience than from uh, you know a scholar of, uh, of Freud or anything okay so that as an introduction and now please your comments or uh, the topics that you suggest or questions that you would like yeah this this is really helpful doc um just to sort of like understand you know the id the ego and the super ego um and i have i think already two or three questions based on what you told me um so question number one is in the id, ego, superego, where does then the ideal and the ought self come, right? Like you are, are those like two separate or two different concepts altogether? Um, or are these, uh, is it one concept and then, you know, somehow the something merges and it becomes the ideal and the ought self. So mm -hmm. if you can elaborate on that, and then I have couple other questions based on your example about the guitar and the hobby and the parents part as well. Yes. So the first question is relatively simple. Both are, are parts or aspects of the superego mm, because okay. both, both kind of uh, tell us in uh, very unambiguous terms, what would be the right thing to do? The right yeah. thing to do, the thing that I feel compelled to do, not because I'm driven by something alien within me. Mm -hmm. I basically, I do identify with that. So my kind of conscious inner voice is basically saying, yeah, I want to be successful. Yes, I want to be good at piano playing. I mm -hmm. want to be powerful, right? So yeah. I'm identified with that. It's not that I would be a hippie uh very anti-power very egalitarian and then would have those discussions the spurs of power grabbing where it sh would shut people up and exclude them mm. from conversations and then reflecting and it's like what the hell was that like what is this thing inside of me that makes me act in a completely different way than the ideals that i have then it would be uh, something that I would count uh, in the id, because then I'm not identified with it. It's, I feel it as a strange, different being mm -hmm. within me, like a demon that makes me do things that I don't stand behind. Uh, so in that sense, it could be located differently. But in the usual case, when I feel mm -hmm. that I should do things or that I pursue things that would make me happy, both are located yeah. in the superego. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, so actually, like, let's take on that example and go a little bit deeper and I'll come back to the guitar and the hobby example um, uh, later. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, what you're saying is, you know, both the ideal and not self live within the superego. Um, one is, and sometimes the way it manifests itself are you know the things the right thing to do in that scenario but sometimes we act almost like 
as a different person, which I think we can all resonate. It happens to all of all of us. Um, and we totally act in a very different manner. Mm-hmm. Now, I, and, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example, right? Like I will have an argument with my parents and I'll get really upset or I'll have an argument with my brother. I'll get really upset because I genuinely hold the value that um, I should, I should love my family or I should at least love my brother. He's the only sibling I have. He's the only, you know, historically, he's the only person who knows me from birth till death kind of thing. The longest relationship I hold, I should, if I, I should be able to at least love him. Um, And that, and anytime I have that argument, you know, right after the guilt comes knocking in and says, hello, what's happening? Why did you act in such a horrible manner. So yeah. is that like my ideal and the odd self? And then where should that, what value should I even hold? Like like you first started and said, how should I live? What set of values should I live by? Um, so, so yeah. Uh, yes, so uh, the, the practical aspect, we are not there yet, but mm-hmm. it serves as an example of, is it odd or is it ideal? Yeah. This is a good example for odd because exactly what you said, the guilt kicks in, right? There is no particular joy in the satisfaction mm-hmm. right, of this, uh, yeah. this urge. It's, yeah. it's more like a voice of decency that tells me, yeah, you should, you should be more respectful. You should be more loving. You should be more caring uh, as a voice that is in contrast to, the, to, to what was happening. So the conversation mm-hmm. was probably, I don't know, was, uh, was an argument where yeah. neither of you were like super uh, respectful, right? Mm-hmm. So if it if that was a conversation with a friend, I would say it's like, yeah, that was not that was not a good meeting with my friend. Let me not see mm-hmm. them for two weeks. Yeah. But then it comes in. But he's your brother. It's like a voice that comes from within, right? Yeah. The voice of duty, and that is a classic voice of the art self. Interesting. You should. Okay. Yeah, you should be able to, you know, love your only sibling. <laughs> yes. uh, or and you should contrast, be able to. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. So, uh, yeah, to take the, the, to continue with the example, let's say we meet again next week. And now I feel a little bit more prepared and I tell myself, okay, this today it will not go down as last week. I want to respect my brother more. So I'm much more contained. I'm much more controlled, mm-hmm. even when he provokes me. I'm stay calm I stay respectful and so on afterwards I'm split even though he provoked me right I'm split between yeah he was still a dick today yeah (laughs) but I but I did well which doesn't make me super happy and joyous Mm -hmm. I'm glad that I could control myself myself or I'm glad that I could follow this law of you should respect your brother again another indication for the odd self Right, because the ideal self yeah. in the satisfaction of that uh, that, uh, that that urge or that law, mm-hmm. I would be joyous and happy. Yes, and I and I think you're right. Like even that second meeting when that generally happens is, I will be prepared and I will make sure I I won't say anything bad, even though I get provoked. Mm-hmm. Um, yet it does it never really leaves me with a good taste in my mouth. I just like 
you know, I'll be continuously thinking through the second second meeting over and over again, yeah. and there would still not be any joy in in the interaction with him. Yes. Um, uh, so okay, I, I I think I understand the art self a little bit. We wouldn't say I've understood it entirely. Well, can um, I give another another aspect of that? Because we can ask where is that coming from, and I yeah. already gave a hint of it's this like which is the parents, right? The it's typically boy. the parents. I, I I said something like it's like a voice yeah. within that tells me what I should do, and this voice, you know, what should it be? It's typically the parents where we internalize mm -hmm. certain values from uh, the outside. Typically, when we are uh, when we were kids, and mm -hmm. that's a very normal thing to do. Little children often want to kill each other, and mm -hmm. then the parents come and it's like, no, this is your brother. You should love him, or this is your sister. You have to take mm -hmm. care of her, or something. And we hear these messages many, many times, and uh, the parents also utter them with a sincerity, so it doesn't come off as a joke. Uh, mm -hmm. And so we understand this is important for them. And yeah. as completely helpless and completely dependent children, dependent on our parents, uh, we kind of have to, where uh, we cannot help it, but to take those voices seriously. So we internalize them because we don't want to continuously disappoint our parents because we depend on them, right? So yeah. their value becomes my value. Very typical procedure yeah. for uh, for the uh, internalization of the odd self. Yeah, even though as an adult, I hate it every time they put that pressure on me to, hey, you know, yeah. you need to still continue loving your brother even though you're not. Okay, I, I think I finally get it. And um, now coming to the, example of the ideal self and the odd self that you uh, that you mentioned about you know the example of the guitar right yes. so having a hop statistically having a hobby uh, has proven that it will give you joy so mm -hmm. um, so as somebody like me who has a very strong that odd self has, is a very strong, personality in my brain I think yeah, I would be like force. well I need to yeah it's a driving force I need to have a hobby and hence I need to learn guitar and yeah. I actually better be at least somewhat decent at it because a hobby is something that you have to be good at so how should I be like like to your example of you know what the guitar really made me fun and happy but sometimes something takes like 10,000 hours or at least a thousand hours before I know it'll bring me happiness mm -hmm. or it'll be joy. Like, how do you then balance that? Because to me that, you know, it takes practice to make something a hobby even. Yeah, I think it's too early to ask this question because mm -hmm. it's not, you know, it's not that the, the ideal self and the odd self are neighbors. And then I can just move my furniture very easily into the other room. It's it's not like that. Okay. Uh, there is a very different logic in the two, and the the art self demands uh, mastery often enough. Demands perfection, right? And okay. then there is pride yeah. or a certain satisfaction mm -hmm. when when I approximated some sort of perfection in a situation. So I wanted to say to stay the alpha dog in the room 
there was a meeting of uh, bankers, let's put the cliche mm -hmm. out there. <laughs> yeah. I, I went to the meeting and I maintained myself as the alpha dog. Now it's not yeah. total perfection. I was, I'm not the alpha dog of the whole world, but in that meeting, I, uh, I walk out with a uh, swell bre uh, breast and uh, can tell myself, mm -hmm. <laughs> I showed them who the man is. Right? Yeah. So at that yeah. moment, there is a satisfaction of the art self because in comparison to, I, I could achieve what was achievable in that situation, right? So that, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. But either which way, right? Like um, I would have come out very happy, right? If my art self gets pleased, uh, I do come out happy because I have been in those alpha dog meetings and, you know, you come out on the top, you're like, hell yeah, I am the, you know, alpha dog today. Uh, yes. So, so uh, there is still joy there. The Okay, let's keep that in mind and okay. let's try to contrast this further. It's, uh, you know, it becomes, it becomes uh, fuzzy and, and complex pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, the ideal self-logic is that the satisfaction doesn't come with perfection, but with just doing the next step. Action, yeah. Right, so I, I want to paint. Right. And then the art self tells me, okay, I want to be great in photorealistic painting. Like mm -hmm. I want to be really good at that. And then there is joy or pride. The ideal self is like, I don't care. Like paint is funny. Colors are great. You know, just like do some smudges on paper. Cool. That's artistic. Not that I can sell it to anyone, but it was joy mm -hmm. doing that. Right. Right. Uh, so this would be much more the expression of an ideal ego kind of thing where uh, where sorry ideal self kind of mm -hmm. process where I'm, 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 I'm caught up in work and then I think like, oh, it would be so nice to, to paint again, right? Not with the idea that I do something that can be sold or impress anyone or impress myself, but just to get some, just to get it out, just for the joy of it. And then I do it and then it doesn't matter much kind of what the how the quality is assessed mm -hmm. by anyone else. It's just fun for me. So that would be a typical ideal self scenario. So actually let's take that example. Um, um, and I'll give you my example. So like, you know, I love to write uh, or I think I love to write. Let's see if we do, right? Anytime I, I, I will write, I would be like, oh my God, this is the most fantastic thing I've ever written. Mm -hmm. And I'll be very happy. And yes. I will be like, this is brilliant. And yes. I'll send it to a couple of my friends and they would like come back and poke holes at it. Mm -hmm. And and I would be like, wow, it was really bad. But I still enjoyed myself and I would still again write the next version and again be equally satisfied yes. that it was brilliant and fantastic. And even though it's generally never is, Mm -hmm. um, it does create, so now, now I do know, so based on that, I also realized, okay, maybe I am actually not as good a writer as I think I am. So maybe let me go do writing classes, but the writing classes demand that I be there, like, you know, in the auth self that mm -hmm. I sort of attend classes on a daily basis and I do hundred days of writing and get feedback, um, yeah. and all of that. So now am i pushing my ideal self into the auth self because kind of you know yeah. it's pretty clear that, that is say, wrong right? though right then, well you you get a mixed result that's what it is because you mix two different uh, contexts there you enjoy for yourself uh, yeah. the the practice of writing you like it 
Right? Mm -hmm. Love then, it. Yeah. So, which is a process with yourself, like it's mm -hmm. uh, it's a feedback loop with yourself. You 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 read what you wrote. You would change yeah. a sentence, make it a little bit better, and then you're happy about it. And then mm -hmm. you introduce a very different kind of logic by showing it to other people, which is right. the, uh, the logic of validation. Uh, so yeah. before you show it to someone, it's nothing. Only no, they... it's not nothing. I love it still. Okay. Even if yes, nobody yes. would have read it, I would. St I still love it. And I think it's brilliant. It's only when mm -hmm. I, even when I go back and look at it three weeks later, I'm like, oh, wow, that was terrible. <laughs> but uh, Okay, but, but in that moment, I love it. Yes, but the what I mean, yes, I, I didn't um, I didn't say that uh, kind of clearly enough. When when you bring it to someone else at that mm -hmm. moment, you kind of almost nullify what you have done, and you hand over the power uh, to define if it was good or not to the other people. Then you're kind of waiting, it's like, oh, I hope they like it, and then they say. Nah, you know, it's mediocre. And then that yeah. part that was anticipating or hoping for validation is uh, humbled, right? Yeah. So you have given up the power. It would be different to say, you know what, if you're interested, you can read it. I don't care if you like it. It was fun for me. I think it's a good story. I don't need to sell it to anyone. I'm mm. not interested to become a New York uh, New York Times yeah. or whatever. Yeah, bestseller. <laughs> bestseller, yeah. bestseller author. Yeah. Like I don't care. Yeah. But uh, yeah. maybe maybe you enjoy it. Who cares? But isn't there? But to that, I would say, isn't there value in even if you're doing a hobby? Isn't there value in like self improvement? Right. Like as, as somebody who likes to grow and learn in every aspect of my life. Improve. Uh, but it's my writing. Improve my writing. What does that mean? In the eyes of others like, or in the eyes of myself? It has to be both, right? Like if I write some, you know, you you create, you do the writing, the first draft, you do it for yourself and that's what you really like. But there is a certain pleasure in sort of like, you know, sharing it, right? There is a, there is, there is value and enjoyment in sharing what you really enjoyed. Um, uh, for example, you become, you know, you at some point will become a little bit good at music and you will, people will be like, hey, play it and you will play it. And even mm -hmm. though you may not be perfect, there is enjoyment in sharing music or doing it and playing the guitar in front of other people. Yeah. So there is value in enjoyment and sharing. So Absolutely. And that is still in the logic of the, uh, the ideal self. But when I, when I depend not on the sharing, but when I depend on them liking it, right? Then I'm seeking oh. validation. Okay, okay. So I shouldn't, uh, yeah, I see. So for me personally, in at least in my writing and not in other aspects of my life, in my writing, I generally will, um, will just do it for my own self and I'll mm -hmm. share it with my friends because I like to share things, uh, but I don't care whether they like it or don't even give me feedback or give me feedback yes. because Yes. To me, it's just the act itself that yes. of sharing that brings me joy. Okay. Okay, we okay, have to get a little bit further than that because what we describe right now is a little bit the situation of a child that has painted something and show, shows it to the parents, right? Yeah. Uh, so we have an interaction there. And, mm -hmm. and more typically when we talk about a deal self and odd self, 
none of that is going on in the outside world. It's happening in our mind only. Yeah. In the odd self logic, it's as if we seek the validation of our inner judge because yeah. we have internalized uh, the other's position. Right? Right. I have right. to be the best. And then there are some criteria of what this the best is. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I am my own judge, or the judge is within me. I typically don't need anyone anymore to tell me that I suck. And here we come to the problem, right? Because the this odd self mm -hmm. often enough turns it develops its own dynamic yeah that demands a level of perfection that is unattainable almost which as a consequence leads to me again and again being uh, dismissed by by my inner judge mm -hmm. or in more simple terms again and again i think that i suck that i'm deficient that i'm not good mm -hmm. enough and this yeah. is where it turns into a problem. Many people in our kind of uh, idealizing, uh, success-oriented mm -hmm. society walk around with a feeling that they suck the whole time. And here it becomes relevant because now we have yeah. an actual problem and people have cut themselves off from sources of joy because they don't know anymore how to switch from uh, that type of ideal satisfaction the odd self to a simple naive form of enjoying something that i like to do i hear what you're saying yet on the other hand my my question comes down to the practical level of how do i know if you know if it's true or not like you know if like my is it is it something that is coming from my odd self or my or the reality? So let's take an example, right? Mm -hmm. So I will so I'll I can give you two examples and you can pick one, either one of them. Yeah. So one example is my family always says this one thing. Probably you're very loving, but you you know, you do everything, but you're always rude. You will always at some point or another get really rude mm -hmm. um, or angry and irritated and like you know, ruin the everything that you do you ruin it by being rude and all mm -hmm. um and to me that seems like you know if i step back i'm like yeah that's true but it's also true that i do everything and my my sibling will not do any work but will be totally like you know only be sweet and polite i will, so, I will change this example because again we're looking at internalized voices it's not about the parents it's when i leave yeah. the situation it's like oh, why was this yeah. fucking rude again why did I, I exactly i did i did so everything then, then and it i was rude, rude again yeah and yeah. to me that is true because i do i see myself doing that right like i see myself saying no because their idea is entirely like stupid um but how do i and and i know i'm saying it in a rude manner but it's probably because i'm exhausted of saying the same thing and they are 100% right in saying that I am rude um, so I agree with them so now is it an odd self or an ideal self um, or let's take another example let's well, take you tell a me career. it's clear that's it's not it's not a difficult question of course it's an odd no it's not an odd I think it's it's the truth okay because well, I will tell you one. I, or it's it's very simple I hope you you will you will get what I'm saying 
it, the reality here doesn't matter. The effect matters, the emotional effect matters. When I end a situation and then I tell myself I suck, I don't tell myself, okay, I think that didn't go great. I think I did some things well. Let's see how next time I can improve it. That's a very different atmosphere. It's like a benevolent friend, right? Mm. I left the situation and then go to a friend. The friend asked, how did the presentation go? And I said, you know, I think I did the content part well, but then when questions came, I think I was too rude. And then the friend's like, oh, okay, so let's discuss how you can do it differently next time. It's like, okay, yeah, let's look at it. That's a benevolent oh. atmosphere, right? But when I, oh, yeah. I leave the situation, it's like, ah, oh, I was, oh, I would, I want to bury myself in shame. I was so bad. I knew that I wanted to avoid this rudeness, but again, I did it. Oh, why, why, why am I so stupid? That's obviously not. <laughs> Okay, I I think I finally get the odd part because for me the way I do it is, God damn it! I was rude at the last second after I did everything. I'm so fucking stupid. I yeah, like exactly. ruined the yeah. entire relationship, yeah. Yeah. but again, and I shouldn't even bother trying next time. I shouldn't even go to visit my parents because I always like fuck it up in the end. So yes. okay, so that's the okay. odd stuff. Hold okay, that, now I hold that thought, take uh, the dialogue that you just said, yeah. imagine that a parent is saying that to a kid. Well, my parents do say that to me. Okay, so. <laughs> imagine, imagine a different kid, five years old, having uh -huh. done a presentation in front of class, all parents are there, Yeah. it ends, and then the parents yeah. say, why were you so fucking stupid to mess it up in the end? You will never do presentations as we told you. We have told you a hundred times, why did we practice this? And so on. Mm -hmm. yeah. What do you imagine is the effect of it on the kid? Horrible, right? Like the poor kid has no confidence left. Uh, Horrible, in yes. them. Devastating. Yeah. Devastating, yeah. And now, okay, now we think we are all that great adults. And most mm -hmm. of the listeners are, you know, in 20 to the mid 50s. We are all mature. We think we can handle that when we tell ourselves these same messages. No, mm -hmm. we don't. It has the same devastating effect on us that we don't break down crying because we tell ourselves these things doesn't mean that it doesn't have a devastating effect on us. It has because the implications of the words are so judgmental. Again, just transpose it into an interpersonal relationship. If a friend tells you, why were you so fucking stupid? You messed it up in the last minute. Didn't we rehearse it? It would be so painful to hear that. And just because we don't react emotionally, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, as a kid would do, or we, do, we would do mm -hmm. in front of friends or something, doesn't mean that it has, has the same effect. So many people with this odd self-prominence are walking around, mm -hmm judging themselves in the harshest way because they have no filters in their internal monologue, right. telling themselves that they're stupid, that they should do better and so on. And then how surprised should we be when we see them with lack of energy, with little joy, mm -hmm. with little internal kind of naive, joyful motivation to do things? Is that surprising? No. They... Okay expose themselves so much to the internal judge without filter, they must suffer from these words. Okay, okay. I think I was, 
I think I kind of understand it better now because I was thinking of the superego um, as more of, you know, the set of values that I should live by, which is I should be polite, which I actually kind of wrote down uh, as I was thinking about our conversation today. It's like, I should be kinder to people. Um, I should be loving to my family. I should be polite. Um, yes, nothing wrong with that. And it is the superego. The question is, is, again, what is the reaction to it when I, when, uh, I, I feel that I didn't get there, that I didn't fulfill it? Here it becomes critical. Yeah. So I should be more kind. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I, I, I left kind of a circle of friends and I asked myself, did I live up to my values? Mm -hmm. And if then I'm kind to myself, because that would be an ideal application of I should be kind, it's like, yeah, I think I should be kinder, but you know what? I forgive myself for not being super uh, aware, super uh, nice all the time. Next time I will be better. And then, you know, I reflect a little bit on the psychology of why I yeah. left my value. Okay, so that is a nice thing. Still super mm -hmm. ego, but not yeah. odd self. Odd self, always the characteristic of judging Mm -hmm. uh, and of a rude uh, kind of um, telling myself off. It doesn't matter if okay. it's about kindness, it's a, if it's about money or power uh -huh. or love. These yeah. are just items. It's just a symbol X, you know, okay. X, X, Y, Z. The reaction is important. Okay. The, the effect, okay. the voice that it comes with. Okay, I, I think I understand it a little bit better now. So then doc, the question that sort of comes is back to the same example that you used with the guitar and the parents sort of, mm -hmm. you know, pushing the kid to do all the classes, making them go to recitals and whatnot. Yes. Um, and, but in that, in that situation, in the parents' defense, the parents are teaching the kid how to become proud of themselves, right? That's, you know, they're like, oh, I'm proud of my son. And they teach them how to become proud of themselves. And it's something that need that the parents need to teach the kid because the kid needs to learn to be proud of themselves. Mm -hmm. And that is why they make the kid do all these certain activities, right? So, so then the question becomes as an adult, how do you sort of, you know, like, how do you create that balance of being proud of yourself without being that overtly stupid, full of ego? Um, or I, ego is a weird word using <laughs> in this context, but you know, like we say to other people, oh my God, this person's so egotistical. They yes. just, um, yeah. like, how do you create that balance is then the question, right? Like, how do you like, because the reason why I asked this question is I was thinking like the reason why I'm doing this writing and then doing all these writing classes to improve my skill set because I want to be proud of my writing. Um, I enjoy it, but I also want to be proud of my writing is yeah. the reason why I was going for those writing classes. So, so that's my question then. So. Well, again, I, when you say pride, it doesn't matter much to me because there are so many facets and varieties of that. And again, my question would be, is the validation possible without the pride? To put it again, you know, to, 
transpose it into the situation of parents and kids does the kid mm -hmm. feel that it's loved and validated even though it doesn't win in spelling bee or the piano competition mm -hmm. does it think i'm absolutely nothing if i don't win they don't look at me they don't love me they don't think i'm valuable nothing right that is one extreme mm -hmm. uh, and somewhere in the middle is something that i think you described i guess yeah. you, you implied it's not that you know there's Oh, still the hugging is like, yeah, I did it well, you know, next time maybe better, but not the look of dissatisfaction, the look of disappointment or not even looking or ignoring the kid and so on. So it's a kind of, it's a gentle nudge mm -hmm. to the kids. Like, you know, if it makes you happy next year, we come back and then you'll see if you want to be better. Let's see how much work yeah. you want to put into it, right? It's kind of in connection with uh, with what the kid seems to enjoy and not just imposing my value because I think that my kid should be uh, in a beauty pageant or a piano class or something without mm -hmm. looking at all at the, the drives of the kid itself. And here we come to the kind of more practical aspect when we as adults look at our mental household, right? Mm -hmm. I catch myself slavishly following an art demand yeah and then i ask myself okay well that doesn't give me any joy that's just a drag in my life what mm -hmm. am i supposed to do what i'm supposed to do is i start uh i start chewing again i like mm -hmm. this word uh, when it comes to psychology i start chewing this internal judge and ask myself is that a voice that i want to be in my head do I want yeah. this? Or is it something that is involuntarily in my mind? And here, so I start to, I can do it on different levels. If I want to do it biographically, I can go back. It's like, is that what I wanted myself when my parents taught me to have this value? Mm -hmm. Do I appreciate it with others when they have this value? Do I fully stand behind it? And if not, and identify this judge that I always should be caring or always should be powerful or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. When I identify it as alien, when I think, no, it's empty. I, I don't even know why I pursue this. It doesn't give me anything. Yeah. Like the kid who realizes at a 16, as a 16 year old, I don't care about piano. I don't know why they, why they make me go through this. I don't care. It doesn't give me anything. I just do it for their sake. Then my duty as the developing, maturing individual is to replace it with something that I can stand behind. Maybe it's something adjacent, close mm -hmm. to it. Uh, maybe it's something completely different. So when it comes to power and my overachieving parents were like, you always have to be the top dog, right? Let's say this was the rule. Yeah. I internalized it. I realized that I'm much more you know, soft, much more moderate than that then I can ask myself, okay, do I want those to throw this out or is there some value to it? Mm -hmm. Is there a limitation of this rule? Not, it's always good to be powerful, but for example, it's good to be able to be powerful when I need to protect myself so that people don't step over me. And then I've turned into my thing out of, I started with contemplation. What is it that mm -hmm. I want? I come to see kind of uh, variations of this very rigid rule that resonate with me, right? It's just an example, but where I think like, yeah. oh, that's so much more me. That's so much more 
meaningful from my daily life. Yes, I can stand behind that. And then I work on implementing that into my mind and excluding the rigid role, the rigid rule, the rigid, rigid judge that I had when I didn't reflect myself on this internalized, incorporated odd self. Okay. I, I hear what you're saying, and I, but I am not quite sure I understand it. So can mm -hmm. I give you another example, which is also very true, right? So yeah. the way I see what you're saying is, you know, you start to question what are the things that bring you happiness. But the way I think of it is our brains are so complicated and so, so complex that I believe there's like, you know, also benefit to, you know, some of the things that you know, some of the values that our parents sort of overachieve, overachieving as an example, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the, there's a benefit or a value to what our parents inculcate in us, right? So an example again here is like the career example, right? I don't think I enjoy being, I want to be the top level person in my, in my field. Uh, yet I see my, my peers and my friends who are going there and I see the benefit of it. There's always a benefit to everything, right? And a cost. Um, there's a benefit of them sort of, you know, having a lot more money and having a lot more luxury in their life. And then um, yet on the other hand, I also see them being very extremely unhappy. Um, so how do you, in that scenario, when there is a push and a pull both, towards those kind of values, right? There's a push, uh, which is you don't want to, you don't want to go there because you know you're gonna be unhappy in the end. Mm -hmm. Yet there is still a little bit of that pull because you're saying, you know what? It is something that the society admires. Um, again, the validation sort of comes in a little bit. How do you let go of those validation rules, right? Because validation is sort of something so inculcated in our society and in each of us, right? When I say society, I mean like each and every one of us, we all want. Sure. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's very simple. I, I'm, I'm completely kind of, I, I'm non-judgmental in that. My yeah. only kind of urges, I'm not saying be a good uh, Christian or you know, be humble or something like that. <laughs> Choose the values that you can fully stand behind. If I'm following a rule, no matter what it is, be kind always, or be an asshole always, doesn't matter. If yeah. I find myself having a voice in my head that makes me do things that I cannot stand fully behind, mm -hmm. right? I, I don't. I was told be always nice, or you know, as a girl, I was raised with be always the nice, pleasing girl. Don't be yeah. too rude, don't be too loud. Don't, you know, always be uh, elegant. I don't know what kind of crap girls are brought up with mm -hmm. nowadays, right? And I find myself, it's like, ah, no, it feels like a cage. I, I don't want this. Mm -hmm. If I do find it, if I do want it and I fully resonate with that, great, right? I'm talking about the case where it feels off. And when it feels off, I have to ask myself, what is a value that resonates more with me? And then whatever it is, when I find that, I occupy that place 
I allow myself to fully identify with that. Mm -hmm. And then I start acting out, acting it, living it, Mm -hmm. Until the day when I have to question it again, for example. It's always a process, you know, it's, uh, we, we spoke about it in different contexts. Yeah. It never stops. This process never stops. I always have to adjust, not every day, but yeah. regularly. So, for example, we take this simple example. I'm, I'm, uh, it's a little bit cliche, but the girl that was taught always be nice when it becomes yeah. a, a late teen or a young adult realizing I, I want something else. I, I was always on. taught that, by the way, but I was never that, so, which <laughs> right. is where that, you know, I, I was never, I was never the nice person. Uh, I was always the one who would like, honestly, just say stuff. Yes. So, so yes, um, a girl might, might come to the conclusion, okay, let me be strong headed, let me be rude, let me be, at least me... I'll be honest is how I would describe myself. Honest, let me be without filters. Okay, mm -hmm. now I do this for a couple of years or for six months, it doesn't matter. Well, and then I realize- For 20 years is what really people do, like. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about an ideal kind of process. Right? Okay. So okay. I'm doing it for a while. Yeah. And then I ask myself, how, how does it go? How did that work out for myself? And then I realize, okay, I was more happy with my, my stronger stand, but I lost many friends, for example. Mm -hmm. And then I'm asking yeah. myself, am I okay with losing those friends? Because I don't want to have friends who, is, who are based only on me being nice. Mm -hmm. Or am I not okay? And here I want to pick up what you said before. Validation is important for us, for most people. Yeah. For many people, they're not kind of strong-headed in, in the sense that some people uh, in history were and some people are, that they don't care if they, if they completely isolate themselves due mm -hmm. to their personality, I might come to the conclusion, you know what, it's actually, it's important for me to have some friends, even sometimes if they're superficial. So consequence, again, I will adjust my rule. I will change this, always speak your mind, have no filters, be rude if you want to. I change mm -hmm. it into do it in certain situations. And when you talk to people that you want to befriend, tone it down. Yeah. Right? I might come to that conclusion. I'm not saying that this is the right way. It's just mm -hmm. an example for a process where after a while I do an assessment. I had an idea yeah. for a certain value that it would do me good. I implemented it and now I look and I see, is it really good mm -hmm. for me or not? And if it's not, I find a new standard, a new kind of better resonance. Same thing, I live it for a while and then I review it. Okay. Okay. I think, I think I get it a little bit more like, um, you know, the whole, okay, I'll, I'll do it in certain situations or not. And the way I put it back in my values is mm -hmm. okay. I'm going to create a balance between, you know, being loving towards the people I want to love and being while being honest with them, but in a more, mm -hmm. you know, loving manner kind of thing. So like, that is what I sort of like put back into my, you know, if I could like just, I, as a computer, put it back in my head, yeah. that's yeah. how I would, I would do it. Okay. Okay. That, that I think, I think now I finally get that, you know, the, the, uh, you know, that 
division that was happening between the ideal and the art self. Um, because I think if I create that balance, like you said, right, that will create that in certain examples, when I have certain been able to create that balance, that is where I've experienced more joy or yeah, more good. peace. I don't know how to, yeah, like joy or peace where I'm like, okay, yes, I love my brother, but I'm not going to let him walk all over me. Mm -hmm. So I will talk to him politely. Uh, but the minute he starts misbehaving, I will cut off the conversation immediately and walk away. Yes. Yeah, for example. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, perfect. Now, can we take one more example just to like make sure I fully, fully understand it? Or do we think it's plenty of time? <laughs> uh, well, if you, if you show me an aspect where you're not sure if you got the concept, then I will, I'm happy to jump onto that. Okay. Um, let's take the example of, a, again, of a woman sort of, you know, as a woman growing up in the, you know, in the 90s and uh, in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of conversations about being, as a woman, you need to be financially independent, right? Yes. Um, so one of the values I inculcated in my head was I should not depend on my partner financially. Mm -hmm. um, and that, like for me, that is a very good art self. <laughs> like that's a very good value to hold. Yet on the other hand, if I ever go through a circumstance where I do need to depend on my partner financially, it creates absolute havoc in my brain. So, so it's not again, good. here, so, yeah, the effect. Okay, but it is a. I still believe it's a very good value to hold. So now, do I need to like convert it back into my own brain and say, okay? that should be an overarching rule, but it's okay to have some exceptions. Is that, like, how do you break that down, right? Like, you know, like the things that- Clearly, yes, clearly, yes. Whatever I take from the outside, like you said, you introduced mm -hmm. it very nicely. There yeah. was a discourse, there was a zeitgeist, there was an atmosphere, mm -hmm. there was a political and sociological exchange of arguments in favor of financial independence, right? Mm -hmm. It's in the outside. But it and makes then, sense too. That is not my point. I don't care. Okay. It's on the outside. Okay. And uh, because I'm part of society, of course, it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So I incorporated, as I did in the other examples, uh, incorporate uh, and internalize a value of my parents. It's not mine. When I take it from the outside, as it's mm -hmm. printed in the letter, and I put it into my mind, it's not mine. It cannot be, it cannot fully resonate with me. Nobody it is mine is, though. It fully resonates with me. Uh, then, <laughs> then here we have the point where uh, I think the example is not clear or the concept is not clear. Because if it resonates with me, I feel complete with that. It feels like an extension of me and I don't run into a situation where this value gives me issues. And you said, yes, uh, okay, this value is great. I generally like it, but in a situation where I have to depend on my partner financially, it sucks. Well, that's the whole thing. Yeah, okay. I see, so then you. it's going in the art self because it starts to suck 
if the situation changes even right. temporarily. Right. So my contribution is I take what kind of I see generally as a good contribution. And then I think about, okay, what are the limits to this? Under which circumstances does it stop to work? Under which circumstances do I want it to flip into a different, uh, into a different value? For example, that I'm able to accept help from people, from mm -hmm. my partner, from my family, right? Okay. And then it becomes with those questions where I figure out, okay, not in this way, not too soon, not too much or whatever it is, right? I yeah. figure that out for myself. And then mm -hmm. I realize, oh, okay, under these circumstances, I would be completely fine with that. Okay. And then I adapt kind of this general rule that came from the outside. It was like a blanket argument without, you know, differentiation, mm -hmm. which is the discourse, yeah. the societal discourse. And then I make yeah. it mine and I live with it for okay. a while. Okay. Okay. I, 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 I get it. Okay. Right. That, that was the only example I was having a tough time sort of like, okay. I had a whole list of examples and I was like, I was like, okay, this one makes sense. This one makes sense. But that one was the one where I was still getting stuck on because it resonated so deeply with me. Um, but yeah. I think I would have to then say, okay, you know what, if it's a temp, in my mind, I would have to say, okay, if it's a temporary situation or if it's a situation where um, it's for a little bit um, in those circumstances, it's okay. And like mm -hmm. creating those own rules for myself, like you say, um, perfect. Okay, I think, I think now I kind of get the whole ideal and of self, mm -hmm. um, at least to a degree. And basically, you know, if it's not making me happy, but I'm still trying to, I still keep trying to do things. That's when I need to stop, check in with myself and say, does this particular action needs, you know, what's the value that I'm holding yes. here? And does it need to be improved, edited or moved or, or removed altogether kind of thing? Yes, I do have to change the settings basically, specifically for myself. Yeah. Um, now, to just to give the listener uh, uh, an idea of where this discussion would continue, because we actually dealt with a simple part. I, I said so. I realize if it's if the value is good for me, and then I change it for myself. Mm -hmm. So that is clear. In many situations, it remains very stubborn. So I might realize these things. I think them through. I understand what the value is that I want to have in my mind in contrast to what the value is that is in my mind, this odd self. And then the process becomes much more difficult. And I basically don't know how to put this new value that I resonate more with mm -hmm. into the functional place of the judge. So this is where it would continue where it, uh, it becomes more, uh, it becomes more critical and more complex of how to do those kind of mechanics of how to throw the judge out and to mm -hmm. install a new judge. That is sometimes not very easy. Those uh, in, um, internalized judges, laws, values, rules can be very, very stubborn and don't yeah. they, uh, squat the place. They don't want to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, so we might continue at that point in a future discussion. Yeah. Uh, because then it becomes more practically relevant for people who have mm -hmm. issues with their odd self. 
Okay. What What's an example, just quickly for users to, or list, sorry, listeners to think about, what's an example of a really stubborn judge, right? Like that really stubborn super ego that is unwilling to change. Anything. It can be anything. I have to be successful no matter what. I have to become the CEO, mm. right? Okay. Yeah. And then uh, me kind of thinking, no, I, I don't need to be the CEO. It wouldn't. I know. I know it wouldn't even make me happy. And mm -hmm. yet the voice in my head keeps hammering on and hammering on, and makes me dissatisfied without me wanting it, and so on. Uh, each year when my I have my validation round with my bosses, I go unprepared thinking I will be humble, I will accept what they say, I want to moderately improve, <laughs> I don't want to become the next CEO, but yet all the afterwards I still cannot sleep. And it, it yeah. in my mind is like, oh, you loser, and you should have done better and so on. And it just leaves me conflicted, the one, one voice that says, no, I don't need it, and the other voice is you suck. So mm -hmm. it can be really anything. Okay. Okay, Yeah. let's leave it at that point. And um, maybe we will continue at another time to get into more practical details of how to dislocate, of how to throw out the judge and uh, the inner judge uh, in these situations. Is that okay? okay. That sounds good. Thank you. This was really helpful, Doc. And uh, I hope the listeners also get some value from it. Okay. Me too. Thank you.